Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. It's mentioned uh, before our family had the privilege of serving as missionaries in Southeast Asia for about 10 years. Question, who was the most respected king in Southeast Asia? Now, I would argue it was the former king of Thailand. He passed away fairly recently. Um, because you see, the king of Thailand wasn't just a figurehead. He had, in fact, real influence over his people. They loved him. They revered him. If you remember, it was just a few years ago, there was quite a bit of civil unrest in Thailand. We saw pictures probably from here of people demonstrating on the streets and uh, didn't know what was going to happen to the country. But it only took the king of Thailand to stand before his subjects and to tell them, stop your demonstrations, behave as Thai ought to behave. And at that, the people dropped their signs, picked up their stuff, and went home. Can you believe that? That would never happen here. Do you realize, beloved, that we also have a king? His name is Jesus. And what do you think people say about us who belong to his kingdom? Do they say, well, his people, they don't, they don't really respect him very much? Or do they say, at his command... They will drop everything and follow in obedience. Well, this morning we're going to listen to the last words of our king before he ascended into heaven. And as we listen to this great commission again and meditate upon it and think about it, we will find uh, three things. Number one, it is a commission of grace. Number two, it is a commission with authority. And finally, it is the commission for all of Jesus' disciples. And so I think the first thing the Lord is telling us this morning is simply this. We, we don't deserve to be a part of his kingdom building work. If you remember, the Great Commission actually is in the context of the resurrection and so you can imagine uh, the disciples hearing those words that early Sunday morning from Mary Magdalene, Jesus is risen, Jesus is alive, he wants to meet you in Galilee. Three days earlier, Jesus' body was hung limp on a cross, he was crucified on Calvary Mountain. How could it be that Jesus is alive? If you remember, the disciples at the time were in Jerusalem, and Galilee was probably about 60 or 75 miles away, and so the disciples had to travel probably about four or five days from Jerusalem to Galilee. Can you imagine what they must have been talking about on the way? Maybe their minds flash back to the last time they were all gathered together. Remember where that was? Garden of Gethsemane. Perhaps echoing in their ears were the words of their Lord, you, you can't even keep watch and pray with me for one hour? And when the angry mob came with clubs and swords and spears, 
all of his disciples, they abandoned him. They fled. They ran away in, in cowardice. And so you can imagine these disciples walking to the place where they would perhaps meet Jesus filled with conflicting emotions, not only wonder and awe that maybe Jesus really is alive, but also shame, maybe guilt and fear that they would have to face the one they abandoned and denied. When I was about 10 years old, my older brother and I and a neighborhood friend were playing at a nearby park. And uh, while we were minding our own business, these older neighborhood bullies started teasing us from, from quite far away. And as, as rascally uh, 10, 11-year-old boys, we, um, we yelled back and probably said things we shouldn't have said to them from afar, not expecting what would happen next. Uh, they started chasing after us. And of course, at the time, we all had our bikes there, and so we hopped on our bikes, and we, when we saw them coming, we just pedaled as, as fast as we could back home where it was safe. And uh, I remember hearing all this screaming, and I was just, my heart was racing, and I was pedaling as fast as I could, and I got to, to, to the front lawn where it was safe, and then our friend came right next to me, and then we looked back, and there was my brother a block away. The chain had fallen off his bike. And sure enough, those, those older uh, bullies came and, and they took a couple cheap shots uh, and then they took off and there he was, uh, humiliated, weeping, angry. Cry. He picks up his bike, he walks it over to where we were standing. He throws down his bike, he comes up to me, he slugs me in the stomach. He says, where were you? Didn't you hear me cry for help? After this incident, we asked our dad to teach us Taekwondo. It only lasted a couple weeks. You see, we should expect Jesus to meet his disciples on that mountain in Galilee and to slug them, right? Or at least rebuke them and say, where were you? But he doesn't. He doesn't rebuke them. He doesn't reject them. In fact, when he, when he meets Mary Magdalene, what does he tell her? Go and tell my brothers still calls them his brothers, even Peter. And when they are standing before him, he, he doesn't mention all of their sins, all of their failures, not even the fact that some of them were doubting him as he stood before them. What we have here in our passage is a picture of God's amazing grace, his incredible mercy. What do the disciples deserve? Well, they deserve to be abandoned. They deserve to be rejected. They deserve to be denied before the Father. But Jesus does none of these things. He, he pursues them and he forgives them. And then he enlists them into this task that he himself began. It's a picture of God's amazing grace. But let me ask you this morning who are these disciples? Or they're, they're us, right? We're just like them. Hesitant, doubtful, maybe, maybe full of shame and guilt even now. Now, I don't know about you, but when someone that I actually respect, that I have offended, 
overlooks my offense towards him, I can't help but respect that person even more, right? And when he demonstrates to me that my relationship with him is so secure and that his love for me is not based on anything that I do, I can't help but love that person even more. And when I am convinced that he sees me for who I am with all of my brokenness and all of my sin and all my ugliness and still loves me, I can't help but be passionate for what he is passionate for. And so where, do, where does passion for missions come from? Passion for his mission comes from a deep passion for him, the one who's loved us, the one who lavishes his grace and mercy and kindness upon us. You see, this isn't guilt trip motivation to be involved in missions, but it springs from a sincere love and affection and respect for our king who has given his life for us. And so, beloved, the more fuel, the more that we dwell upon God's grace and mercy in our life, the more fuel that we add to mission's fire in our hearts. And so it's true, we don't, we don't deserve to be a part of this mission work, and yet he still allows us this privilege by his grace. The second thing the Lord is telling us is that we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid to go, to support, to send, to give generously. Why? Because Jesus, the one who has called us to this task, has been given all authority both in heaven and on earth. My fear, beloved, is that we don't really believe this. We don't believe that he has all authority over all of our affairs in life and that we send, support, and go with his authority. You know, when I talk to people about missions, they often fall into one of two extremes. Um, the first is utter fear and anxiety about entering into a discipleship relationship with somebody else, sharing our faith, sharing the gospel, or, or God forbid, praying whether God is calling us to go overseas. Even for those who are, are called to give, we're hesitant, right? Give beyond what is comfortable. Do we believe that Jesus has all authority, both in heaven and on earth, and that we send support and go with his authority? Well, if, if one extreme is utter fear and anxiety, what would the other extreme be? Overconfidence, pride, maybe even arrogance as we approach this mission work, uh, perhaps we think because we are educated, we are wealthy, we are from the West, that somehow the world has to listen to our message. We think all authority has been given to us and we go out in our own strength and our own confidence. The first mission field we were able to serve in was the Philippines. And there is a seminary there called the, the Presbyterian Theological Seminary in Cavite. Uh, and when we arrived to the field, I, I had just finished my PhD in New Testament studies and uh, was really excited about uh, teaching at the school. And I was thinking about all the work and all the preparation that I had, had done. Um, and uh, quite honestly thinking, um, boy, these students are so lucky to have someone like, <laughs> right, like me, 
uh, I go to the school, I meet some students, they're, they're really friendly, um, and then one of them asked me, he, he says, so what year in school are you here? I tried to hide my pride. He thought I was a student, and, and of course missionaries can't be uh, proud, so I said, oh, I, I, don't, I don't go to school here. Uh, he said, are you going to apply? <laughs> uh, we need to ask ourselves some hard questions, don't we? What kind of authority are, are we basing our confidence upon? Is it worldly authority? Whether that's our education, our our money or our power, or do we believe that Jesus has all authority both in heaven and on earth and that we send and that we support and that we go with his authority? Only by the authority and the power that Christ gives us by his Holy Spirit that we can actually do anything of lasting value for his kingdom. You know the promise at the end of the Great Commission? Behold, I am with you to the end of the age. I think sometimes we read that and we imagine Jesus kind of hovering over us, watching us as we go about this work. I don't think that's quite the picture that's painted here. What Jesus is promising us in his presence, I believe is the Holy Spirit indwelling us, equipping us, empowering us to this task that he has commissioned us to. Do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus' spirit is in you? You know, when this teaching drops from our head to our hearts, two things happen simultaneously. Number one, we, we become incredibly confident. At the same time, we become incredibly humble. Those of us who are, are, are hesitant and doubtful and, and perhaps fearful become confident because we know that Jesus is calling us to a task that just cannot fail. And he's equipping us with a power that has no bounds. At the very same time, it it makes us incredibly humble, recognizing it's not our power, it's not our authority, it's not our giftedness by which the kingdom of God advances, but his spirit, his Holy Spirit, working in and through us. And so number one, yes, the, the Lord is telling us we, we do not deserve to be a part of this kingdom-building work, and yet he calls us by his grace. And secondly, we can't actually do this work by our own authority and power, but, but we can by his. And finally, the Lord is telling us that everyone who is a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, needs to be involved in making more disciples. What are are those two main tasks from our passage that, that Jesus associates with making disciples? First was baptism. Second, it's teaching. Maybe you're asking, why baptism? What is baptism? Uh, uh, Baptism requires this radical commitment that says essentially, today I die and am reborn by the power of the Holy Spirit to live as a follower. It requires this, this commitment to being a follower of Jesus. Teaching, why, why teaching? Teaching is the means Jesus uses to mature and grow up his disciples. Teaching them to obey everything that he commands. 
And so not only are we to lead people into this radical commitment in following Jesus, that's included in discipleship, evangelism, reaching out, but also to nurture them in faith to full maturity as a follower of Jesus. But you see here, did you catch it? Part of teaching others to obey everything that Jesus commands includes what commandment? Go and make disciples. Go and make disciples among all the nations. Part and parcel then of of being a disciple is making disciples. The, The truth though is we can't make disciples unless we first are disciples. So maybe I should ask you this morning, have you made that radical commitment to follow Jesus, to receive that sign? And are you committed to a lifetime of learning and growing in the gospel of grace? Maybe you're thinking, "Uh, we're not ready for this. Isn't it the pastor's job to baptize and teach? Yes, God has his ordained servants to carry out these unique functions, but you see, we simply cannot get away from the fact that we as disciples of Jesus are commanded to teach others to obey everything, including this command to go and make disciples. Whether that is sending or supporting or going to the nations. These, these four pastors uh, go to a restaurant and um, they wait patiently for the waitress. When she finally comes over, she, she takes the menus and throws them down on the table and says, what do you want? She, in fact, acts so rudely to these, uh, uh, these men that their whole evening is ruined. When they finally finish their meal, they, they pay their bill, and they, the most senior pastor calls the waitress over. He wants to have a word with her. There she is standing in front of him, and he looks her right in the eye, and he says to her, seems like you've had a really hard day, and he hands her a $100 bill. She is so moved by this act of kindness that she, she starts to weep, she starts to cry, she starts to pour out her heart, her problems, uh, her brokenness, and there the, the pastor shares the gospel with her, and, and she receives Jesus right there and then. Out in the parking lot, uh, that most senior pastor turns to his colleagues, and he tells them, and now I want each of you, give me $25. You see, every one of us can be involved in making disciples. Some leading people to this radical commitment and others, well, you know, uh, faith promise. But of course, what are Jesus's teachings? Whether gospel teachings. So we don't need, need to teach our disciples that they somehow have to have these perfect moral, moral lives. What is discipleship? It, it's, it's simply showing someone else how to apply the gospel to all the areas of our life. How, in our marriage, how we raise our kids, in our workplaces, and we think about our role in society. And so when the center of discipleship is the gospel, then the focus is not on us, but the focus is on who? It's on Jesus. We don't have to pretend to be something we're not. In fact, what do we teach the the folks that we're we're reaching? We, We say, we're just as broken and messed up as you. 
We need the same gospel that we're telling you about every day. And we confess our brokenness and our sins and our need and our fears and in our, our anxieties. And so we, we're teaching our disciples that we are simply beggars, right? Showing other beggars where to find food. Now, certainly we can be involved in making disciples here, here in Palm Bay. Many nations have come, indeed. But you see, we still cannot get away from these words of our Savior, of our King, of our Lord in Matthew 28, because he is still calling his church to go, to go to other nations, to other places, the places that don't have the opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? To fulfill God's purposes for his creation, to see his glory spread throughout all the earth. And so Jesus, our risen king, exalted to the highest place, hands us the baton, and he calls us to carry forth his message of the kingdom, this message of grace to the ends of the earth. This task is, is not an option for us, really. It's not something we do if we have extra time in our life. It's, it's in fact, included in the very definition of what it means to be a, a disciple. It's to make more disciples. And so it helps define, quite honestly, our, our purpose and calling while we remain here in life. And so let me ask you, beloved, do we respect our king? Our king, he, he's freed us from, from the burden and the shame and the guilt and the sin that we've carried. Our king, he set us free. And so let us respect our king. And may his vision for the nations be our vision as well. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your calling in our life to be the, the very children of God. And Father, may we not take this new identity, this new birthright given to us by your grace for granted or lightly. Help us to live out, Lord, this identity here, Palm Bay, here in our great country of the United States, and to the ends of the earth, that your glory would fill the nations. We pray this through your son, Jesus. Amen.